I suddenly like got a sound on my ear from some kind of video that started to run. I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe it was one of the voices inside your head. <laughs> it's 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 a new simulation. We had a collapse of the wave function. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Christmas Realities, a conversation show about what cloud-driven transformation really means for businesses and humans. I'm Dave Chapmanger. And I'm Sentia Zal. <laughs> so usually we talk about cloud, right, on the show, and we like the idea that you can change your reality through education, action, decision-making, and the smart use of technology. But this week, though, is a Christmas treat. We're going to focus on the realities element of the show and explore the hypothesis that reality itself could be simulated. With us, I'm glad to say that we have got roving reporter Rob Snowmanahan made it back from Vegas. Rob, how are you doing? All good. Glad to be back and enjoying the calm of being home, which is a lot better than the intensity of Las Vegas. So, yeah. so yes. That terrifying background buzz and constantly having Tito's and soda forced in your hands. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that was the hardest part. Yeah, absolutely. The Tito's and soda. <laughs> and I am delighted to say, to help us through this difficult subject and to educate us, I'm sure, we have Anders Inset with us, a philosopher, author, and renowned speaker. And we're delighted to have you with us, Anders. So, Want to say hello and just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm Anders. I'm an author, a business philosopher, based out of Germany, born in Norway, writing around the quantum economy, where I explore the potentialities of technology, but also the part of the mensch, the human being, uh, and how through education, uh, we can use practical philosophy as foundation, how to tackle the challenges ahead with technology and the activation of the mensch. Let's just let's then dwell on uh, simulation hypothesis. So, for those who haven't really delved into this too much, just frame that up for us. Like, what was your going in point? Yeah, I mean, um, the going in point is basically the coffee table uh, discussions that people are having, uh, and and of course, I mean, back in two thousand and three, uh, Swedish philosopher Nick Bostrom. Uh, kind of sort of popularized the simulation hypothesis. There were other people that have reflected on that. Um, but what we have as in a general public uh, interest started maybe a, a, to be more broadly uh, looked upon with the matrix. Um, right. But right. then more lately, uh, there have been predominant um, pros and cons. You know, Elon Musk has gone out and said, well, there's a billion to one chance or a one in a billion chance that we do not live in a simulation right. um, pop cosmologist Neil deGrasse Tyson said there's a high likelihood and even David Chalmers who has uh, done amazing work in, in the field of consciousness hmm. says that there is a high likelihood and his new book Reality Plus tackles you know a lot of the things that I've also been working on over the years in terms of you know how to live a meaningful life in a virtual world and what are virtual worlds and are they real and and all that so there have been a lot of like popular uh, discussion around mm. the whole notion of simulation and I think as w w the world and our lives become more 
absurd. Um, we have the paradoxes. We have weird things happening. People sort of think about you. Well, this could be a simulation. But then again, it would make little sense to discuss this with you or anyone else because then most likely all of us are in a simulation. So, you know. What does it give us to have a, a thought conversation on that? So I've been interested in this for, for many, many years. And, and together with my colleagues that are you know, distinguished quantum physicists, we met in Vienna some months ago and um, we were having a wonderful evening. Um, mm. And I challenged a good friend of mine, Florian, about a very simple thing. Yeah, well, if you're we're talking about the simulation, then, then prove to me with your physics and your background, use your team, whatever, and, and prove to me that we are not living in a simulation. Not saying I believe we do live in a simulation, but try to, f- to find a foundation to stand on to prove to us, prove to me that we are not living in a simulation. And um, some weeks later, he called me up and said, I have slept in weekenders. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Simulation or not, I haven't slept yeah, in weeks. Yeah, well, yeah. So, so that led, one thing led to the other and we gathered some, some people and we started to think about how to... Uh, approach this uh, and to build experiences and and what kind of restrictions and what kind of foundation we have to stand on to to at all explore this. For those who haven't read Bostrom, um, he argues that either humans are highly likely to have become extinct before the advent of a post-human stage, or any post-human civilization is highly unlikely to run a number of simulations based on their evolutionary history, e.g. You, you haven't got the volume to be able to create a simulation, or three, we're almost certainly living in a computer simulation. And he claims it's likely that we live in one based on the argument that there are many civilizations and these civilizations build computers that run simulations of conscious beings. Then there are many more simulated conscious beings than real ones. So we, you know, the conclusion he comes to is we are likely to live in a simulation. Was that the start point of where you guys then started to sort of try and unpick that a bit? Yes, it is a starting point of the argument or the hypothesis. Um, the, the challenge is that here a lot of scientists have, you know, claimed this to be pseudoscience. Um, right. You know, one of the, the famous online YouTube stars of the moment, Sabina Hossenfelder, has been very clear about this, that this does not belong to any scientific endeavor. And and again, this is an absolute statement. Um, and my interpretation of, of science or or to be a physicist is basically to to strive for better explanations. And um, with the, the Nobel Prize of, of quantum physics just a couple of months ago, um, we are now certainly looking differently at the subatomic level when it comes to physicality. And um, and that is, of course, something that, what does it tell us? What, what does it mean? And, and it, it kind of sort of changes the, the notion of what is the quantum theory or what is modern physics really telling us? And it's very difficult, I believe, to make an absolute statement of a theory, um, yeah. modern physics, that is not a complete theory. Most, I think, scientists uh, would see that as an incomplete theory. There are things to be uh, figured out, be it the relationship between Einstein's general relativity and quantum physics or um, some other aspects that are, are very difficult to argue. So, so there are very views on how to tackle that. And, and how we came at it was basically to say that, well, let's it's very difficult to run experiments on a modern, modern physics or a physics beyond um, what we um, 
what we understand today. Right. So, right. so we have to have some basis, and and um, we are very, you know, um, conscious and aware of arguments coming from people like Donald Hoffman, where you say that uh, consciousness is foundation, and anything else emerges out of consciousness, and and that is, you know, those are things that are are nice theories, but they're very difficult to run. Uh, scientific experiments. So, so, so to us, it was important just to have the basis of what um, is there to work with today, and then try to, to 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 do observations. How would we build a computer that could run all of these simulations? That was basically how we started out. Yeah. When you think about all of this, when you talk about the concepts behind it, has it ever been explored from, we've seen about the motivation of why we, we would, you know, somebody or something would create a simulation that we then exist within. So for me, there's a big part about why then, if we do and we are, then what's the motivation behind the simulation? Yeah, I think when I liked an analogy that Swedish philosopher Alexander Barr did a couple of years ago, where he turned the whole notion of the creator upside down. Yeah. And, and he argued from the standpoint of, we don't need a creator in terms of a God to create the universe. It was physics. But what we're doing is basically we are building God, uh, the famous Deus ex machina, God from or out of a machine where we strive for, you know, longevity or bliss or divinity um, um, from a computerized world of um, bits and bytes. And um, uh, you can always so always go from it or bit. You can argue from a technological standpoint. And if you do so, you're still, if you're in a simulation, you would have to reflect at least a little bit about what is outside of that simulation. Yeah. So coming back to what Dave said, um, the argument from Boston, you know, s- says that most people would then be living in a simulation. So that means that we would have billions of billions of simulation because if everyone could simulate their own world, apply some kind of physical laws that we have some kind of consciousness or we are aware of, there is still something that we could argue against, that there is um, any kind of physicalism. There is no reality as such. I mean, Dave Dennett has talked about consciousness being an illusion, whatever that would mean for the simulation. But but still, if you do that, you run into a simulation chain that there is a simulation within a simulation within a simulation ad infinitum. And, and basically that is where the challenge um, comes for our physical laws of nature, um, basically reversing global entropy. Um, so a, a simulation chain has a lot of restrictions, um, which would exhaust any computer based on any physical law that yeah. we have today. So um, that is where, where we were went uh, looking and we came up with some arguments and some observation that we did. But basically... Uh, making absolute claims on a simulation uh, is uh, not possible. I think it's not possible to argue against, nor is it possible to argue for living yeah. in a simulation, but it's well, certainly interesting to play with. And, and what I found quite surprising based on that comment when I was doing the research for this is that a lot of the writing does seem to, and the research around this, and I guess opinion pieces around it, does seem to fall in two different camps. There was like very definitively, it's real and we are living in a simulation. And 
some very definitively not real. So to just set that up a little bit and, and give some context, Scientific American um, argues that we already run simulations that are bounded by processor speeds. Now, what they speculate on is if they if we're living in that a simulation, then some of those bounding factors would be known within the simulation. The argument in Scientific American is that the speed of light could well be a hardware artifact showing that we're living in a simulated universe. What's your perspective on coming at it from that point of view? Yeah, I, I've I've looked at quite a few different arguments and 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 theories uh, on the argument. Um, I, I am not a physicist, but I I have um, seen what we did was basically that any external programmer of such a um, simulation um, would, from our perspective right now, have to have a full understanding of the physical laws governing evolution, the universe composition, and 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 down to a level of whatever that would be, a foundational level. So it's about creating life and so on and so forth. But, but then um, if you take that and you take the laws of quantum physics as the most fundamental physical laws that we know today, then there are some limitations. There are some scales, um, there are some units that you access, um, you know, the limits of time, that time, space and mass and, and, and temperature. And, and you have that as a basis, the Planck scale. And, and, and those assumptions you can play with. And if we would figure out a way to unite quantum physics with general relativity, or we could say move beyond quantum physics, of course, there might be other views, but, but from a quantum physics standpoint being the foundation, then within the simulation, uh, running that ad infinitum, there would be limitation as to how many change or how this could be set up. Um, so an, a computer would, you know, exhaust to that extension that there would be would be other energy forms that would be needed, most likely, um, right, that we right. might not be accessible to us today, right? And 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 that's what we leave it with, you know. It's that thing about being constrained by the thinking of our time. So we tend to try and bound it by what we understand, understand how a computer works today. We try and extrapolate that forward, but we don't know what we haven't discovered to your point, right. which is don't be constrained by your thinking. There could be a lot more out there we just don't understand or know that would remove these bounds that are used for arguments that we absolutely aren't in. It could just be we don't understand enough yet and we need to keep working hard on thinking a bit more about what that world could be. Well, it seemed to me as a, as a layman, that the work that Ringel and Kovrizi at Oxford Uni, they did some work that that seemed to be based on looking at advanced computer models run run something like today's computer games. And then as a result of that research, and I think, you know, I'm coming at this from a layman, so apologies if I uh, I am misstating this research, but I think, Rob, it came from a similar place that you're just describing. And it said that creating such large simulated universe is practically impossible because there's not enough particles in the known universe that could sustain the computing power necessary for a simulation of that scale. So unsurprisingly, they came down in the it's definitely not real camp. Yeah. So, but, but that to me did seem particularly bounded and extrapolated from what we know today rather than what the sort of you know, future tech could look like. I mean, there's a base assumption there that processing continues in in the construct that we know today. But you know what? We went from clockwork to digital to whatever else is is you know beyond. So we're we're assuming it's an electron running through a, a, a you know a gated chipset. Well, you know, in a million years' time, that could be very different, couldn't it? 
But I, let me I make a bold statement here, and and this is something that I've just recently started to um, to claim or to 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 to, to have challenged. I, I think that what we will see in the sciences is that if we go back a hundred years, there were theoretical exploration of the understanding of the universe. So we created physical laws, we got a better understanding of the math. Richard Feynman said, if I can't build it, I cannot understand it, right? It was a um, a, a mathematical um, um, and, 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 and scientific endeavor brought to life. So we build application, we build solutions on top of the foundations of physics. Uh, what I believe is that we are at a pivotal time right now, and, and I talk about this as being the final or the last narcissistic injury um, of the human species, um, because... Um, I often give myself narcissistic injuries. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, the, coming from the, the Freudian narcissistic injuries, the three injuries of the Freud, but I think it's the last, because it's the last one, because we either, we, um, we, we put everything in technology and, and, and strive forward, and we will continue to build um, uh, things that we do not understand. And we have seen some um, things around it. The recent releases of OpenAI are things that start to say, okay, what are the limitations here? But if you look at a simple thing like a chess computer, right? Uh, we build the stockfish, you put all the chess plays into the, uh, that computer and you have a good understanding of the basic um, uh, rules of the game. And human beings have intuitively learned to play and play this game in, in, into a very broad, like um, human trait a type of thing. We said it's difficult for a computer. Um, then the computer was built, it beat the human being and will forever um, continue to beat the human being and will be not looking back. Um, and what happened now is that um, people didn't stop playing chess. So what they did was they started to look at how this computer plays chess. And not even the engineers that built the computer knows why the computer plays these crazy moves. Um, some of these moves uh, lead to a totally losing position based on the best chess computer stockfish that we have, or the human beings have ever built. So Magnus Carlsen, the, the world champion, he started to play what was called the Alpha Zero move, where he took a pawn on the side and moved it forward. And everyone thought he was losing in seven, eight, um, um, you know, steps down the road, he was probably, you know, winning or, or up. And, and what happened here is that no one understands exactly why. And if we fast forward three to five years or 10 years moving towards what might be singularity or whatever, I think that this is what is changing right now. Now, um, technological progress meaning businesses invest in quantum computing, quantum technologies, and we build stuff before we understand it. Mm. So what happened is that we expand um, the realm of possibilities. And if we don't take time to dig into that, to understand the underlying you know, forces or the laws of physics or whatever we have created, then you know, we will become some kind of homo obsoletus and we will upload our minds and you know, link them up and we don't know right. where that point... In a completely point, constrained sort of Yeah, way. whatever that is. So, so I think there is a, there's a very big switch here from the scientific community to first you build it, then you understand it. Uh, and if we don't take that time, that could be a very pivotal point 
being for human beings. Uh, you can imagine all the particles in the body being rebuilt, all the 83 billion neurons being simulated or rebuilt. But somewhere there is some kind of that subjective experience, the quality of what it feels to, what it feels like to be talking into this microphone. And does that ever get lost? Is it something that is a physical trait that we don't know? So uh, playing with it is dangerous if we don't know. Um, what I'm saying is basically we have... Consequences might be. Probably one, like the last one taking that one pill, um, right. you know, turns off the light of the physical perceived reality, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 in, and in your research then, to come back to the work that you've done, um, Enlighteners, where did you get, where did you get to? So, what was your process like, and then what kind of conclusions did you come to? Yeah, by, by, by all due respect, I mean most of the math and the parts coming from quantum physics uh, have been done by my colleagues, of course. And of course. but but I've 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 been there challenging with questions, and um and I think that um um to me it's 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 that all these absolute statements that are put out there regarding the simulation hypothesis, I respect them very much so, but I have difficulties when I challenge the foundations of the absolutism of the assumptions that are made. Uh, so that those I like to play with, you know, what kind of assumptions, what kind of computer, uh, what kind of restrictions have you built the argument on? And that was what we would try to do was to outline some um, restrictions, what, what kind of things must happen for human being to build such a computer uh, within the current understanding of physics? What are the limitations and so on and so forth? So, so that was basically our conclusion was to say, we want to have a discussion around this and we will we come at it from a philosophic scientific uh, perspective where we say, Progress is there. There will be things beyond. We cannot calculate uh, with things we don't know. So we have to have some assumptions. And then we could imagine things. We could like put up a, well, if you have a computer that would have infinite computing capacities, right? What would then uh, be our limitation? So we played with those type of things. And we pr- had some ideas on how an external program we can can temporarily circumvent the exhaustion of the computer, uh, computational resources, like to basically say, that, okay, there is some kind of, you know, pause uh, of the explored explored universe. And uh, we had some, some of these scenarios and have that in the paper lined out for the community to start discussion on, on how can we proceed. And maybe that would also help us think about other, you know, ways to do things in terms of building computer and, and also to, to reflect on the simulation hypothesis. I mean, I think it's interesting that you start with those constraints and try to work your way through again understanding them and and bounding the situation. Uh, how, in your mind, does that correlate with if there are indeed those those sorts of constraints? Does that not immediately put you in the space of what American scientific was saying when they were basically saying that if there are processing constraints around the simulation, they'll be visible in the simulation? Yeah, that is true to that extent that um, we don't know, right? You know, what are the limitations? I mean, today there's no scientific understanding on how entropy could, global entropy could be reversed, um, I think. So So you think there is some, but is that possible to play with from a philosophical standpoint? Yes, of course it is, right? If the laws of quantum mechanics are just a step, um, then 
yeah, of course, but it, but still, you know, um, the new laws, the modern modern laws of physics must then give us all the other stuff, be it evolution or you know uh, Newton's laws or whatever. So I think it's 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 hard to make those absolute statements because mm. uh, then you would take out that notion of progress, and um, there is. There is also a, um, and, 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 and I don't want to become like to come into the, the spiritual realm or into the energy part, but there is so much to be explored uh, at the interface of spirituality, Eastern philosophy, things around experiences um, that uh, has not been scientifically uh, proven. Um, you would dismiss all of that, right? Uh, and, and that is a thing that I would not do. Um, I would leave that open. And, and when, People like Donald Hoffman, who's very clear about that, um, you know, going after that, um, trying to explain consciousness as fundamental, um, out of which everything evolves, then it's interesting. And, and um, you know, more power to these people. Exactly to that point. And you mentioned her earlier, um, Sabine Hossenfelder. I, I kind of like where she came at it from in a lot of ways. And she said, those who believe it make maybe unknowingly really big assumptions about what natural laws can be reproduced with computer simulations. And they don't explain how this is supposed to work. But finding alternate explanations that can match our observations to high precision is really difficult. The simulation hypothesis there just isn't a serious scientific argument. This doesn't mean that it's wrong, but it means you have to believe it because you have faith in it, not because you've got logic on your side. How did you tackle that type of intersection in the way you just described? So the, the sort of spiritual of faith and the religious element with the sort of hardcore science and philosophy elements of it? No, I think it's, if you, to me, if you're a scientist, um, progress is all you have, right? And and I don't think there would be someone with a flag standing at the bottom of the smallest, uh, you know, whatever that is, and saying, "Hey, now you reach the final theory of the universe." Yeah, I, right. I don't see there are interesting things to say about string theory and all the things that have been approached. But to, for us as a scientist, I would say um, progress is possible through human endeavor. And what does that mean? That means that we have infinite progress, which also means that uh, claiming that it's not scientific would basically say, well, then I have taken my position out of my scientific endeavor. Instead, I would like to say, well, it might not be applicable within the current laws of physics. But me as a scientist, I want to explore that. So um, I, I do get what Sabine Hossenfelder is saying, but still I, I like more, um, I mean, of course, she does a lot of the provocative speeches and, and, and absolute statements also for, for the obvious purposes, but, and, and she's extremely competent. But I, I think, you know, any, um, I, I would say, you know, if, if there is never an absolute answer, one might say this is sad news for neuroscientists and physicists, whatever. I say that's job guarantee uh, forever. <laughs> so, so I, what I want, I want to take more the approach of, well, then let's make it scientific. And basically that's what we did. We tried to unite the argument from a scientific standpoint with the philosophy uh, and to put it up for discussion and then continue from there. And to me, that is uh, the foundations of science, not to have the answer, but to strive for progress, for better explanation. So I think, you know, what we did was basically to take the most fundamental scientific approach. It's not complete 
complete. It's not probably not everything correct, but mm-hmm. but it's just to me that is that is the foundation of science. So I I am neither in the corner of uh, cool be living in the simulation, nor am I in my corner that I want to, to dismiss anything that is put out there as unscientific, because that would basically say there there is an answer, uh, and I don't think there is. But that should not stop us from uh, trying to find one. Yeah, yeah. And do, do you see? And did any of your work or the reading that you've done around this suggest that this is anything more than just the updated version of the cosmic clockmaker? Well, the history shows us that 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 a lot of these um, things that we have looked at have been put into the box of explanations or better explanations. Um, what I like, what I like here is is um, I think uh, the Matrix did a very good job to catch a lot of the um, philosophical aspects of it. Um, I, I am more interested um, in. I, I don't want to ponder that simulation every day and and the cosmic clock I, I i'm more interested in in what does it you know apply for me as a human being um how do i live a life what is life is it real what is reality to me how do i define it how do i put a purpose into my life so you say okay how can you know we talk about is it real is it virtual uh, i i detach myself from that and take the experience um and i say that you know if you're in a simulation or even in a virtual world of course it's real because what you experience is real. So everything that you do experience is a part of what you have. And no one can take that away from me. I don't know if you are conscious. I don't know if anyone else is conscious. But the only thing that I have is, is that experience of my own experience. And I like that notion from all these philosophical concepts and theories. I like to play with that. That's basically where, where I stand on, on the topic. So Anders, from your perspective then, there's, we've had a lot of conversation about constrained thinking can impact whether you believe simulation or not the theory. How do you think that plays forward into other aspects of the world we live in, business and technology? And, and do you think that you know, um, we, we, we could behave and think differently in, in, in the way we operate and maybe improve? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a very good question. And, and I think that is a big issue today if you look at climate if you look at the challenges that we have first of all i think um the economy is the operating um system of our society so only if that is stable then we can tackle education social issues and so on and so forth so we have to work on that and and we need to build some kind of humane capitalism and it's an upgrade but the challenge over the past decades were exactly this absolute thinking we have um optimized the art of being right the zeros and ones a yeah. binary way of thinking your opinion my opinion right and we have kind of sort of lost the art of being wrong namely the progress part that the experience of your own experience that you have moved on that the will to truth that someone might have a better idea the whole notion of progress and um the unconscious progress that we have had has come through innovation, optimizing more of the same, right? And what did we do? We started a climate crisis. We started to say we have to reduce, we have to build circular. So we upped the game of business by adding attributes, social business. I have never seen an organization that I've written on their page, we are the most anti 
enterprise social business in the world, right? Um, we, we said, it would be um, a bold, that would be a bold position. But that's the exact consciousness, right? I'm coming to that point. So, so we do impact investments. So do you have um, um, any organization or private equity or company saying we do no impact investments or we do destructive investments? No. So we have added things that has become attributes of the good. Right, because mm-hmm. we have we have a feeling of what we think is right. Uh, it has to be sustainable. What the hell is that? Right? What what is sustainable? Um, you know, if you take um, um, eating avocado as a part of you know saving a lot of animals, right? In Norway in November, is it good? Is it sustainable to have avocados? Where do they come from? Uh, they come from very wet areas like Peru, Kenya, Spain, what have you not, right? And you take a thousand liters of water to grow avocado trees and they kill off all the ecosystem and all the, the animals and, and all the bacteria and all sources of life. So anyone that thinks that he's doing good for animals might be on the wrong path. And yeah. th- the challenge here on all of these topics um, is that we aim for the solution, the absolute solution, and not for progress. And when I say so, I mean we do not describe the problem. We don't focus on the problems. We focus on um, uh, the output, the the end game. And there are always extrinsic things that happens, be it the pandemic or the terrible war in Ukraine. And then you start from a new point. And from that starting point, the only thing human beings have is to strive for better problems. A vaccine does not solve the problem of a pandemic. It just makes it better. Better, right, yeah. and and that is if I take one example that could be very like to make it very uh, clear what I'm saying here is that we should stop flying because it's bad for the for the environment. In that we have the environment, which is everything. We cannot fix everything, right? And we have the notion of that stop flying is something that will happen. So if you go to any airport around the world today, you will see a lot of people flying uh, and, and they're crazy. I don't know where they're flying, but they are flying. We have Zoom calls, people zooming in from Bali or what have you, not from home offices all over the world. That's how we are. We are not perfect beings and we are onboarding the next billion um, passengers. And now is the question, what is the solution to this? Is it stop flying? Is that a realistic path to be on? The problem is not flying. The problem is the technology with which we travel in air. Okay, so if the solution is to change that technology, what do we need? We need an economy. We need investments. We need innovations. If you tear down all the profits from all the airlines, they're certainly not going to invest in it because they don't have any money. What will happen is they will have worse, better planes coming in. We'll take the old planes and take them to Africa or Asia, whatever the new airlines are found. And we're going to make the problem much, much worse in the long term. So the whole notion of how to fix it is wrong because we think there is a fix. Maybe even flying more in the short term would be better because they would have a lot of money and we could invest, right? Or we could describe the actual problem to a much more detailed notion, how to make money out of it, what it does. Maybe we can even find an incentive for a Jeff Bezos or whoever to make a lot of money out of it and at the same time changing the technology. So what I think is that the whole notion of having the good, the right, um, finding a purpose and finding, I mean, the, all the absolute of something that we cannot describe is the wrong narrative. The narrative to be in is exactly that striving for better problems. And for that, we need to think deeply and long on the problem because there is a high complexity. And that is 
completely counterintuitive to absolute data, optimizing the past, short tweets, compact formats, no intellectual deep dives. And that's the problem of the world today is that we have taught that a knowledge society, that we know something, that we have experts, that we have answers is the right way forward. No, I think the society of understanding a society striving for better explanations is the right place to be in. Uh, and that is um, a, a complete different narrative. So the business world of tomorrow, this building on the analogy of the operating system, is that we have apps and applications on the operating system. Let's describe the bad ones and make them better. Nurture the good ones, but let's focus on the bad ones. How can we make those less bad? And that is a challenge that we can take up in all aspects of life. We cannot make ourselves happy, but we can make ourselves less unhappy by being very specific on one or two problems that we can do something about. And that this narrative is turning the current world order, I believe, or how we approach things upside down, be it in academics, be it in politics, be it in economy. And, and, and we have those absolutes and we are very much caught in those self-evident truths. And I think that is one of the, the biggest part is not the infection of a pandemic, but that our minds are infected. Uh, we, we think we have to know what to think, but we need to learn how to think. But do you then think that the society and the economy that we created allows us to solve these problems differently? Well, I think that is... Um, Perhaps a very good question, but I think allows us, yes, because we are to some extent individuals that can make an impact. I think we can influence at least our own reality. But I think your question, if I if I understand it correctly, goes back to what I strongly believe is a um, better problem. And that's to emphasize um, how to change education, starting from uh, children, kindergarten, all the way up to uh, leadership and executive development. What we are learning today is facts, roles, expertism, and, 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 and we don't learn how to learn. The, the, the capacity how to learn is the foundation for that particular progress. Um, I, I, I call that practical philosophy. And I think that in the educational system, uh, I can take four examples of things that I think is a quick fix on how to change education, hmm. to take it back to how education can and should be, both on an executive and leadership development programs as well as for kids. Uh, number one, train analytical thinking. Mm. Um, tackling ambiguities, paradoxes, learn how to see both sides, not jump onto the answer, but strive for an understanding. The, uh, the analytical thinking can be trained from early on. We are born in this world with an empty storage and we start to navigate, we explore. Then we go to school and we learn to categorize links, left, right, zeros, ones. And changing that is important. The, the number two is, um, I see a lot of insecure people. Um, they're ex- anxious about the future. Um, I think self-trust is the foundation of trusting other people. Um, so training people to have trust in themselves, I think is very important, starting with, with an early age. Um, we take trust and put it into data. Yes, we need more KPIs, more transparency, but that is measuring the past. That is the obvious, but we, we confuse that with trust. Uh, if we say that transparency of data leads to trust, then we have made trust obsolete. There is no trust. We start with distrust 
until it's validated. And I think that is basically um, the second part that self-trust training that is is a foundation. Number three is, is basically um, having that capacity to work in teams, to work together, to reach the flow stage where you have something, you can build something bigger than the sum of its part. Collaboration, um, and co-creation. Uh, that is something that also can be trained at early age. Um, because if we get together in the physical space and we have different viewpoints and we have that trust as a foundation, then we have friction. And out of friction comes progress. But if we block it into div- divided worlds of absolutes, we will not have progress. You will have a fight. And that is what we see in today's politics, um, in, in, in the world today in politics. We have 50.1%, 100% pro something and 49.9% against something. So that's an absolute division. It has nothing to do with the democratic understanding at all. Um, so that symbolizes that. And number four is, um, I think it's important to train your voice. Um, basically the old rhetoric, ethos, pathos, logos, having a ethical foundation, uh, credibility, um, having that logical argument, um, how to learn how to argue in a structured way where it's plausible, and then also training the pathos, how you can influence people and take them on your journey to inspire them, to help you and, and to join you build that um, new story because everything we have in business in the world today are built on stories, right? It only exists in our minds and we build economies of us. I think that is very important uh, coming back to your, your question. And, I, and if I get you right, I think we are um, able to do something. Uh, and I think one of the things that can lead us to more people being able to getting into that state is basically working on the educational models. I think one of the points for me was to that question is we've become aware of the issue of the constructs that we've created around us about the absolutes and you're this, therefore you must be that. And it's um, disabled dialogue and conversation. I think as a society, we're becoming more aware of that. So hopefully we've taken the first few steps towards getting back to the world that you describe in the types of ways we need to think and behave differently. I think definitely we're, we're talking about it more, which means we, we, you know, we've acknowledged the problem at least. Yeah. I agree. That's the first step. <laughs> and invest in long-term solutions. Also a bit different than how we are doing it right now, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the realistic path here, I talk about it in German called Enkelfeg, uh, which is uh, prosperity for posterity. Um, so we want to live a good life. We are human beings. We have reached a level of, of uh, at least in the Western part of the world, where we said it, it, we will never limit ourselves enough. I don't think that's a realistic path. So we, we need to, to think long-term and short-term. So we need to have a decent life now and we want to serve future generations. So infinity is kind of abstract, but if you write down one thing that you would work on that um, makes for a good life now and for your grandchildren, then you have more of a concrete, specific way of to tackle infinity um, and, and, and those long-term solutions um, can be built out of that. And the other part is I think turning back back to your point is that the understanding of technological progress. Um, if I may, uh, the whole energy crisis that we have is not the root cause is not the war on Ukraine. The root cause is the lack of capability to invest yeah. and build the obvious. Um, p- companies that started to work 
towards solar um, and wind 20 years ago. They are highly profitable, some of them right now, mm-hmm. but we didn't do enough. The money was there, but we were old um, and we were, lay, we were laying back and, and relaxing in our old world of technology and we didn't explore the new. So if you look back at how it was in the UK or even in, in Germany, particularly in the post-Second World War era, there were hacker mentality, the belief in, in, uh, you know, in the art of doing business, creating better problems, uh, innovation, exploration. And then the last you know, decades, we have been optimizing that. And um, we have the sun, we have only a distribution problem. And all of a sudden now, with the outbreak of the war, everyone gets into action mode. Everyone is forced to tackle and take on these issues. And then all of a sudden it goes really fast. Uh, we progress every day now on various types of energy forms. And if we look back in 10 years, we will say, how could we at all survive with those Stone Age tools that we were using back then? Yeah. And, and that understanding is at the foundation of long-term thinking, because you need to invest now in order to change something in 20, 30 years from now. Shalk, what's trending this week? So each week I will do some research on what's trending in tech and pick something that I find interesting to share with you. And this week's trend is about the EU. They threw a gala launch party for its 387,000 euro metaverse platform. And only six people showed up at the event. (laughs) So the European Commission's Foreign Foreign Aid Department hosted a launch party on a virtual beach in the metaverse. And this party was specifically held to educate young people about the EU and draw them into a space where they could learn more about what the EU actually does. And according to reports, just six people made a digital appearance at the event. I mean, so, so what do we think is going on there? Is this the fact that they were ahead of the curve on, say, metaverse adoption? Or do we just think that it was wrong-headed in the sense of old folks trying to do something cool for the kids? And the kids, of course, seeing straight through that as they are frustratingly good at doing. Or is it something else? What do we think? Uh, Anders, what's your perspective? And I know you've, you've, you've been doing some thinking about the metaverse generally, right? Well, I think it boils down to metaverse or universe or whatever words. It boils down to what is the incentive? Um, what is the incentive for a change in behavior? So um, when I read statements about, well, the education will be done in the metaverse, um, then I say, what is the incentive? So how do you incentivize people to do a educational structure in the metaverse? Well, you optimize the story that you tell. What does that mean? Well, you make history that was most of the time was really boring. You make it more sexy. And you add attributes that sell stuff. And if you're going to add selling points to all the things that you put into the metaverse, creating a a, a little bit slightly optimized Mark Zuckerberg that is handsome and has slightly better <laughs> values, if that is the tension of, if that is a notion of the metaverse, which it is, it's, it's just trying to figure out how to optimize things that we have just done incorrectly or bad in 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 the real world. Then I don't think it's it's something that. Um, 
has a value at all. Will it become valuable? Of course, there will be business models built on it. But does it tackle some of the things? Will it feel real? Yes. Uh, but is it, a, is, is it the right thing to do? I think we, we can approach such a creation of such a, a metaverse with a very simple thing. Um, what is the incentive? What is the better problem that we can describe in society today that we are going to solve with that? If that is thing, I'm all metaverse. If we could find ways to do that. If it's all about how can we make a shitload of money by optimizing yeah. something that is crappy outside or make it like more virtual or unreal, then I think, well, it's, of course, it's going to move money, but it's not going to help us. You know, you can sit in a metaverse and, and, and the planet, you know, closes out and, and, so because the energy is consumed to run it. So, yeah. so there is, so I don't know. I, I, I'm very, I haven't been doing a lot of uh, uh, metaversing myself. Uh, and I, I think there are a lot of things in the uh, whatever verse, real verse, whatever this is that we can take on. And as long as we don't find things that are better problems for society, um, I, I still know it's going to happen, like, you know, artworks and stuff like that, but, and in real estate and what have you not, but I don't see it as a valuable contribution to, 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 to the challenge so, that we have today. So Schalk, why did they design this platform? What, what were they actually trying to do with it? Anything as noble as that? Yeah, there was an official statement around that. To increase awareness of what the EU does on the world stage among 18 to 45-year-olds who are primarily found on TikTok and Instagram, who are neutral about the EU and not typically exposed to such information. So it was a, it was a pamphlet, basically. A, a, a pamphlet about the EU. A yeah, really, really was. complicated pamphlet that's really hard <laughs> to read and engage with. Yeah, somehow they've taken the concept of a short infomercial and turned it into something incredibly hard to engage with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah in, in my opinion, I think the best approach would have been to, um, to meet them at their platform of choice instead of creating Absolutely. a separate platform and draw them into it. It feels a, li a, a little bit like somebody said, we've got to use the metaverse. Now let's find a problem we're going to solve with it as opposed to we've got an engagement problem and we need to go meet them on the platform where they engage. Yeah. 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 And there were a lot of not very positive opinions. So I did try the platform myself as well. Oh, did you? Tell us about it. Yeah. W what happened? It was well designed. It looks good. Hmm. Graphics look good. Although I would have used a bit more realistic avatars. Those were really strange. What, were they, what did they look like? Yeah, some sort of... It was not even human-like. Right, right. Different forms right. where you could what did pick you, from. What, uh, what did from, you choose for your avatar? Yeah, the first one. <laughs> <laughs> Just use the first really one. Really getting into the spirit of it there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it was well designed, but controls were not working properly. I got lost a couple of times, got stuck on a rock a couple of times. And I saw lots of people abusing the chat functionality as well, adding links, HTML tags to it, try to run some scripting. Right. So that's right. how they are using that. They're immediately trying to subvert it and break it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's why they're using it for. Yeah, I think it goes with, with all human beings, you know. If you want to build something like that, it has to be so beyond any experience. I mean, the kids have all these crazy 
technological experiences. If you want to give something new to a young generation today, it, it doesn't have to be good design. It has to be so freaking amazing beyond anything that you have seen. If you look at the recent um, release of um, um, the open AIs, both the, um, the virtual, the artistic path, uh, or the chat functions right, that you have the last couple of weeks only. Those are things where you are wowed. There are applications where you say, well, this is so far beyond what I've ever seen before. And that, you know, goes viral, that uh, draws attention, sucks people into it, creates a business model and so on and so forth. So moving forward, anything that does not serve the human being or the planet does not have a relevance. Once you have that, that baked into the core of any business and any activity, you have to have that as a core. You don't market it as some touch. You don't market sustainability. You don't market social. That's just the core. Then you have to have the whole brand look and feel. The experience has to be amazing. And then you have to have an actual value proposition. What is it? What kind of problem is Can you pinpoint that problem that you are solving with this particular product? If you can get those three boxes checked, then you have a decent chance of setting up something. But like, listen to your arguments. I mean, it's just, you don't match any of the three. So it's doomed (laughs) to fail, right? (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, Shelk. I feel bad for them. Like they obviously did that in a well-intended way, but uh, I hope they've learned from it. And uh, the next time they try something like this, it's maybe, uh, it maybe checks at least two of uh, the three of Anders' boxes. Yeah. So moving on, Anders, we like to end the show each week by asking our guests what they're excited about doing next. Could be anything from Christmas is coming all the way through to uh, the next big piece of work or thinking you're going to do. Yeah, um, I mean, spending time with my family is, is obviously very important. Um, now in the holiday season, that, that's something that I will go to Norway and pick out the skis and have some cold experiences uh, and go out nice. And, nice. and listen to the silence. But I will also be doing a lot of writing. Um, I would do a, a new piece together with my, my colleague, um, How Near is Singularity Really? Uh, we are digging into that question. Um, and the second part is that we are planning a, um, a launch of my quantum economy, um, the book that I wrote back in 2019. It will be a trilogy where uh, the second book is about unleashing the potential of technology and uh, also by freeing up the mensch through the educational part. So we go into the potentialities of technology. We're building a global platform um, at the quantumeconomy.com. Uh, we're doing educational models and like you know, initial courses on quantum theory and also quantum technology and uh, around the educational part. And um, yeah, and then we're writing a new book around that topic. And uh, so, so those are the, the, the main things that, that I'll be, be doing over the next weeks. Yeah, just just a few things then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm privileged. I'm privileged. I can get up every morning and learn. That's I'm, I'm, I always see that as as a as a huge privilege, and I, I love to learn. I'm curious, and I love to learn new things. So so I'm. I it's not. It doesn't seem like work. It's just uh, um, the time I don't spend with family. I spend. Yeah, exactly. I spend exploring. Fantastic. Look, thanks so much for spending time with us um, this week and, 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 and helping us through and providing some food for thought over the turkey and, and wine over the next couple of weeks. It's been great to see you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. You really gave me a lot to think about, Anders. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thank you. So a huge thanks to Anders and Rob for being on the show. To our sound and editing wizard, Ben, and of course, to all of our listeners.
So we're on LinkedIn and Twitter, Dave Chapman and Xiao Kizal. Feel free to follow or connect with us and let us know if you have any ideas for the show. And of course, if you haven't already done that, rate and subscribe to our podcast. So we're taking a break for Christmas and we'll be back with a great lineup of guests from mid-January. Merry Christmas and a happy and healthy new year to all of our listeners. See you in another reality next year. forgotten simulation running in the corner of a cosmic data center that somebody's left us alone by accident and this is the reality we created for ourselves so uh, it's quite a (laughs) it's actually running on a future version of a cell phone and somebody's (laughs) left it in a toilet somewhere (laughs) or or we there's a 16 year old boy that visited the europe uh, the eu's metaverse and he decided to simulate a new universe and this is what we got (laughs) yeah oh that's so sad (laughs) 